So, this is the fifth Sunday in Lent, and even though there are six Sundays, but next Sunday is uh, the one that we regard as, we never call it the sixth Sunday in Lent next week. You know what next Sunday is? No, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, correct. Yeah, so we're really at the end of our Lenten journey, and today's reading actually occurs just a few days before the Palm Sunday story. And Palm Sunday, next Sunday, will lead us into what we call, what do you, what do you, do you know what it's called, the week that comes between Palm Sunday and Easter? It also has a special name. It's called, it's called Holy Week. Uh, it's called Holy Week, and it includes really from Palm Sunday until the Saturday night before Easter. And on each of the days of Holy Week, even though we only gather in church on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of Holy Week, uh, not this week, but next week, uh, we remember the events of that week that happened in the days before Jesus died on the cross and rose again. So as we look forward to the next two weeks, um, today's story is in some ways about getting Jesus, getting ready for Jesus to die on the cross and rise again. And the story about this woman named Mary pouring ointment or perfume on Jesus. Uh, she was getting him ready for his burial. And that sounds a little strange, but if you listen to part of the sermon today, you might realize why this was happening. Thank you for being with us today, and let's have a little prayer. Lord Jesus, as you prepare us to remember and celebrate Holy Week, as it is coming to us in seven days. Open our eyes and our hearts to believe that you are truly the Lord of all things and the Lord of love who has given himself for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I, I'm going to have to really work very hard at staying right here in front of the camera because as a retired junior high school teacher who loved to move around the classroom and it was one of the reasons I retired from teaching is because I could not move around during that whole year of standing in front of a camera. So it is very difficult to stay in one place, but I will try. Of our five senses, I think the sense of smell is probably the most connected to our memory. Our sense of smell is connected so deeply to images and experiences of our past. For example, springtime. I, passed by a flower uh, shop on 18th Street just yesterday, and 
they had lilacs out in front, and I leaned over and smelled some of them, and immediately my mind went back to my grandparents' backyard when I was a very young child. And my grandmother had actually huge, they were at least this tall, uh, white and lavender lilac shrubberies right outside of her dining room window. And this was in, in Michigan where they grew a lot, and Kitty is shaking her head because <laughs> having grown up in Michigan, <laughs> that you know those lilacs are just so wonderful. Gardenias will do the same. The sweet, very strong fragrance of a gardenia will bring memories back to before I could even walk and being carried in my mother's arms as she would be wearing a gardenia corsage that my dad had given her because they were either going out for a dinner and they were taking me to my grandparents for babysitting. Those smells bring back images and memories of the past. John's reference in this story, in chapter 12 of John, the story of the smell of the perfume permeating the air of the room may have triggered in John's mind the actual events of this story as he writes it down many decades later, or as it was told to him. I find in this telling of this story that phrase that the perfume filled the fragrance, the house was filled with that fragrance. And it may have been to John that it triggered all these images. This story is very similar to three other stories. In all four of the Gospels, a similar story is told. Whether they're the same or not, we don't know. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus and his disciples go to the home of Simon the Pharisee for dinner, and a woman of, sometimes translated, ill repute, in other words, a prostitute, came into the room, was weeping on Jesus' feet, and then breaks a jar of expensive perfume, pours it on Jesus' feet, wipes his feet with her hair. In Matthew 26 and in Mark 14, Jesus and his disciples go to the home of Simon or Simon the leper. And again, a woman, it just says a woman, it doesn't even accuse her of anything. A woman comes to Jesus, takes, breaks open the seal of an alabaster jar of expensive perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair. And we have John chapter 12. But in John chapter 12, the people are identified. We have 
Here in John, the events take place in the home of three siblings, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Unfortunately, Pope Gregory I, who died in 604, combined all four of these stories together and labeled the woman was Mary Magdalene. And not only labeled the woman in all four stories as Mary Magdalene, but incorrectly labeled Mary Magdalene as a prostitute. In fact, the picture on the front page of the worship folder, if it were in color, the woman laying there on the floor has a red cape on or dress on. And in all of Western art, Mary Magdalene has been portrayed wearing a bright red dress, which was a sign of a woman of ill repute. I love that old phrase. That is not true. First of all, it's not true of Mary Magdalene. The woman in this story is Mary of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. No. Whether or not Mary of Mary and Martha came from a town of Magdala, perhaps, there is nothing in the biblical record to state that. All we know is that thanks to Pope Gregory, it has led to the degradation of women, not only in the church, but in all of Western society for 1,400 years. Now, we can't change that overnight. I wish we could. But the details we have here in John 12 follow a story about these three people, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, that is such a powerful story. In fact, in John chapter 11, and in fact, on fifth, fifth Sunday of Lent, in Lent, every year we read from John chapter 11 or chapter 12, no matter what other gospels we're reading. It's always on this fifth Sunday in Lent we have something from John 11 or 12. John 11 is the story that's pictured in our window over here. And in fact, in the little corner and... To Zoom folks, unfortunately, I'm not going to turn the <laughs> camera so you can see it. But if you've ever noticed in this window of Jesus, and it says, I am the resurrection and the life, in the little corner on the left side is Lazarus, wrapped in burial cloths, and Jesus reaching out, calling him back to life. That story has taken place just a few days before this story. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that their brother had died. And, and when, he find, when Jesus finally shows up, they say, they accuse him and say, if you had only been here, our brother would still be alive. And Jesus says, don't you believe and you will see the, the power of God. And Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. A shocking event. Mary and Martha, so pleased that their brother was back, 
And so what does Martha do? Jesus and his followers, they come to dinner. And Martha makes this great dinner. So it appears, and it says, Martha serves. And Mary, she does something even more amazing. This happens only six days before the Passover. In other words, this may be the day before Palm Sunday. Mary is so grateful for what Jesus did in bringing her brother back to life that she just had to make this offering, just had to break the seal on this alabaster jar full of pure nard. Now, yesterday I googled, so easy to do, what in the world is pure nard? Well, it was and still is an ointment or an oil that is very expensive. It is made from the roots of the spikenard plant. And at that time, the spikenard plant only grew in the northern parts of India and what is now Nepal. In other words, in the foothills of the Himalayas. So even to have a pint jar of pure nard would have had to travel a long distance. Today, buying a pint of pure nard is over $600. Now, where Mary and Martha got this, but Mary decides to break the seal on the jar and pour this ointment, this perfumed fragrance on the feet of Jesus and wipe his feet with her hair. And then look at the response. Good old Judas, what a waste. How could you do this? This is such a waste of money. This could have been sold and the money given to the poor. And I love the fact that John puts into this story this little sidebar. In fact, it's printed there in parentheses. Judas said this, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He, would, he was the one that took care of the common purse for the disciples, and he used to steal money from it. But Judas just says, this could have been given to the poor. He just wanted the money. And what does he do? Probably only three, four days later, he sells out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus responds by saying, leave her alone. She has done this to prepare my body for burial. I'm sure everyone sitting in that room was aghast. What in the world are you talking about? Even though Jesus had pretty well let them in on the fact that something was going to happen. In fact, the Pharisees were already looking for Nicodemus 
because wait, this guy has come back to life and he says that Jesus raised him from the dead and in fact, right after in the verses immediately following this today's story, the Pharisees not only are seeking a way to arrest Jesus, but to also get rid of Lazarus. They had no idea that in six days Jesus would be crucified and certainly could not comprehend resurrection. They were still scratching their heads, wondering how, wait, Lazarus was dead. The two millennia that separate us from the events of this story also separate us from how we deal with the dead. For centuries, people would anoint the body. They would anoint the body with expensive perfumes and oils and spices. Spices would be wrapped in the burial clothes. In fact, when we read this whole story that we will hear in the next, next week, when Jesus' body is taken down from the cross, they wrap his body in these spices in the burial cloths. It was how they did burial. In fact, in many cultures, certainly look at King Tut's tomb, they would bury the body with expensive things, the most precious things and the most beautiful things to take the deceased with beauty into the next world. Elaborate rituals would take place. Today, we embalm the body we make it almost like a wax figure. And we shut our eyes to the events of death. We, like the disciples, fail to comprehend that Jesus was not only going to die, but it was eventually and ultimately conquer death, just as he did with Mary's brother Lazarus. We fail to honor Jesus with the expensive perfumes of beauty and thanksgiving that we should be offering for the greatest gift God will ever give humanity. The hymn writer from the 18th century, Isaac Watts, wrote a very familiar hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. In fact, um, and for People at home, forgive me, but I'm going to add a hymn that you don't have. Uh, during communion, after we sing the communion hymn listed, we're going to sing 803, and I'll announce that uh, when I survey the wondrous cross. The hymn writer, in that fourth verse, writes the following. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a tribute far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So what does this say about us? We live in a time in which it is thought to be a waste of money to do elaborate things for God. Many of my friends who are non-religious, think 
that it's a waste of money for churches to brand new churches to be built or for churches to collect offerings for whatever. Many people think it would be a waste of money. For example, we're spending money to have that window fixed. Our stained glass windows are beautiful. Could the money be given to the poor? Are we Mary or Judas? Many people think it's absolutely crazy, even though it is an architectural wonder of the world, to spend millions of dollars on the reconstruction of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Shouldn't we take the money to help the poor, which we never do anyway? Those of you who are as old as I am, and I love the fact that now I can say, well, back in my day, <laughs> it, it's fun to be at that a certain age where you can say, back in my day, or don't you remember? Some of you may remember phrases like, to put on your Sunday best, or to get dressed in your Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. That goes back to the 19th century. When we got dressed, we got dressed up to go to church. When men would wear suits and ties, women would put on their nicest dresses and their hats. And to quote my favorite Broadway musical lyricist, does anyone wear a hat? Uh, <laughs> Sherry is one of the few people that will wear a hat. On only certain events do we dress up anymore. Maybe Easter Sunday. Maybe some parents will still buy Easter dresses for their little girls. And maybe little boys will be in a tie and all dressed up for Easter or maybe Christmas. But have we lost something? I am very glad that people today, we feel comfortable coming to worship God no matter how we're dressed. But it's the same as when you see a young couple obviously going out on a date. And the young woman is very nicely dressed. Nice high heels or jewelry, whatever. And her date, yeah, her date is in ragged blue jeans and a t-shirt. And I think, and I, I've never said it to anyone, but you know, your girlfriend got all dressed up for this occasion and you look like a slob. I mean, we have become so comfortable with our pandemic sweatpants mentality that it's amazing we remember how to get dressed at all. Doesn't the worship of God expect or even require the best we can give? The most expensive perfumes that we can offer 
doesn't the worship of God, and I don't want to use the word require because there is nothing we can do that is of value in thanks to God. St. Paul in this, the second reading today where he says, I count everything as rubbish compared to the gift that God has given us. God has given us such an expensive gift in giving his only son to die and rise again for us, to conquer death and evil, so that we might live forever in God's loving presence. God should expect from us the perfume of our lives, should receive from us a thanksgiving of praise, because God's love is so amazing, so divine, and therefore, it demands my soul, my life, my all. Amen.